Well, good morning. I think, you know, as that song was played at the end there, I, I just had to picture my, my mom. She would have just smiled from ear to ear to go, you finally sang an old song in her church. A song that could be done on piano and organ, and that's all we need because that's, uh, that's what she did. She was our church pianist as long as I remember in the organ. And she even played the accordion. How many know the people actually played accordions? Think of that. And be, that would not be a worship instrument today, right? But, uh, no, what a great job. Our musicians wanted to do something unique today for us. And, uh, boy, they're a talented bunch. Really good to, to enjoy that music. Well, you know, we are, we are so blessed. These are those days that uh, we come to, and, and, and the purpose is already given for us. You know, we've come to celebrate uh, that which is good. And I was reflecting this week on, on the idea of mother, because I'll be, be very honest with you as a pastor, holidays are not our most favorite things, because they kind of put us in a little box where we feel like, okay, we've got to go a certain direction. We, we have no, no leeway in that. But I was thinking through of, uh, of the, the ladies God has blessed my life with, and uh, I, I do talk about my, my precious mom, Jeanette Field, uh, Naomi Jeanette Field, two names you don't see a lot, uh, who's, been, who's gone to be with the Lord, but uh, was raised by a godly mom. I married a godly woman who is a great mom, and uh, even to this day, you still can't stop momming, even though our kids are adults, and they're, uh, <laughs> and they're getting out more and more on their own. We have two of our kids with us today, Wes and Chloe, and uh, I think about my sister, who raised five kids as a single mom, and uh, to this day, I still just kind of like <laughs> all props to her, because I don't know how in the world she did that, but, but God, because God was her strength. But we've all been graced, we've all been blessed with uh, different women in our lives, and today we want to celebrate that, and we're going to do it in a, in a different way, and, and through God's Word, just let Him speak to us about some things, because I really think we live in a day, I think every mom would say that their day was the hardest day to raise kids. I think we went back through history, and we looked at uh, historical records, everybody say, well, our day was, was the hardest day. Maybe it was in the uh, pioneer days where they had to deal with elements and things that we don't even think about today. Or, or maybe it was in a, a time where expectations were just different. You know, I, I know parenting is different today than it used to be. Dads are much more involved uh, than in the days even when I was raised. It was, uh, it was more like, hey, you go make the money, leave the kids alone, mom will take care of that. That was more of the generation I was raised in. But things are different, and I'm not saying they're better or worse, they're just different. And I think it's okay to celebrate that, but it's also good to look in the midst of that and say, God, then how do you work in us with some of the unique challenges we face today? Let me, let me ask you a question. How many know that some things that are meant to be good can turn out to be bad? Anybody? I mean, some things that we seem like we can't live with, what we live without, some days we wish we could just totally get rid of. Can I get a witness to that this morning? I know I've lived most of my life without one of these things, but I can't imagine living without them now, right? But yet, you know, we're, we, we're something that's very good to us. Quite honestly, we all need to join the, uh, I guess it would be like TA, Telephone Addicts Anonymous now, because we're all like addicted like crack to telephones, because we can't, I mean, in fact, I challenge you this morning. If you have your phone with you, I dare you to make it in this next 45 minutes without looking at it once. No Facebook, no screws. In fact, if you're using our, our, our U version, I challenge you to stay on U version and not check out your Facebook page because you might get a little bored to see if anybody liked the cute thing you posted this morning. It's just something that, again, is good, but yet it can also bring difficulty to us. And I think for moms today, we live in a world that now we live a curated life. Everything we do is recorded. Everything we do is brought into memory. Everything we do is, is, is right there for everyone else to compare, criticize, and, and inject their opinions into. 
give you a little insight into a pastor's mind, which might be scary. I get asked a lot of times, like, well, how do you come up with your sermons? And my, my favorite answer now is I always say Google, and I just stare at them. And, you know, that's, you know, there's some truth to that because it's a great research tool. But honestly, uh, it, it's very different. You know, every, every time, y'all, y'all may, a little insight. I'm, I'm like six months ahead of you right now. I know when I'm preaching six months from now because I go into the year that way. I'm just praying, God, what is the themes you want to weave through hope this year? God, how do we line those things up? But always in the middle of those, there's these holidays. And it's like, it just messes everything up. I'm like, God, I was in a groove. Now it's Mother's Day. What do I do about that? And I was praying this week, and sometimes God gives me a scripture, sometimes God gives me a thought. But this week he gave me a title. And I thought it was the craziest title in the world until I Googled it. And the title was Motherhood in a Pinterest World. Google that. You will see some rants like you've never read before on the internet (laughs) in your life. And it's a very popular topic, so I want to talk about motherhood in a Pinterest world. And to do that, we're going to base it in a scripture in Colossians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 6. It would take a time to turn there, Colossians 2, verse 6. And before we read that, I just want to say thank you to, to Curtis and Mona Hickey. We had an incredible marriage seminar yesterday. We had 14 couples there. I, I feel a little, uh, I'm struggling a little bit today because the last two weeks we've had some incredible pastors, teachers up here, and I'm, I feel like a rookie trying to get back in the groove this morning here. But thank you guys for such great ministry. But Colossians 2, beginning in verse 6, says this. It says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I want to read that last verse out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Colossians 2.8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies or high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Let's pray. Father, God, I ask you just to uh, help us today, God. Let our hearts be open. God, let our minds be open. God, let us focus. And God, let your word speak to us, God, because I believe your word is living and active, God. And every time we open it, God, Father, you have something to say to each and every one of us. So God, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond this morning because, God, we are so honored to be in your presence. God, we pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said... Amen. So if you Google motherhood in a Pinterest world, one of the first articles that comes up comes from a mother of five from Utah. And she wrote this. She said, social media has led us to believe not just that our lives should be happy, but they should also look perfect from the outside. Facebook and Instagram have become personal PR agencies, forums for us to assemble a set of dazzling promotional materials for our own lives. I love this. My real children may be covered in mud and subsist on a diet of canned refried beans and Barney the Dinosaur. But my Facebook children are always clean, nutritionally balanced, and baking low-sugar holiday cookies. In the climate of competitive perfection, Pinterest raises the stakes for what perfect should look like. Barely able to find time to do the laundry, we should somehow find ourselves at 2 a.m. the night before the preschool holiday partied, crippled by unrealistic expectations, resentfully baking high-concept cupcakes, and assembling lopsided magical winter wonderlands. I love this statement. Glue guns don't kill people. But people with glue guns kill any last hope of guilt-free motherhood. I'd like to meet this lady. 
She goes on and gives some examples. I thought they were just hilarious, but yet there's such truth to them of some of the pressures now of comparison when it comes to just the simple thought of, of raising families. She said, you no longer can announce the birth of your baby by calling someone and telling them what, uh, whether it's a girl or a boy. It says in simpler times, you could just call someone up from the OB's office after your ultrasound and say, hey, we're having a girl. But what you really need now is a gender reveal extravaganza, complete with pink and blue refreshments and team games to guess the sex of the baby-to-be. People can only learn the gender when you release a giant box of pink and blue balloons to float up to heaven, later deflate, and will probably choke a baby seal. Let's just hope the ultrasound tech was right. This is true, true, right? I mean, there's so much comparison. She goes on, and I I love this. She says, you can't even throw a birthday party anymore for your six-year-old. She says, used to we play pin the peg leg on the pirate. It was simple. But now, now, I have to cut out 10 large cardboard boxes to look like an 18th century pirate ship and stage a treasure hunting spanning the entire neighborhood. Each game station must be marked with cardstock printables and coordinating colors and authentic-looking seaworthy font. For refreshments, I better use the tiered cupcake stands to display the fresh fruit kebabs I've speared with 100 toothpicks, size, skull, and crossbone flags that I made myself. And put them right beside the watermelon I cut up to look like a shark. If I don't, what will the other six-year-olds think? One more. She said that, uh, she said, we can't even do chores right anymore. She said, it used to be that you could tell your kids, hey, unload the dishwasher. But no, no, we are now in more enlightened times. How can a child possibly expect to to do any work without an attractive whimsical chart to remind him or her? So here's how to make a Pinterest chore chart in five easy steps. Step number one, find a wooden pallet. Step number two, pry apart planks on said pallet and nail planks together and apply three coats of magnetic paint. Step number three, use a stencil to write out the chores, painstakingly embossing each letter with glitter. Step number four, make a done and not done column. And then buy cute little magnets for the columns at Michael's and spend all afternoon covering them in washi tape. Step number five, just scream because your child will still not unload the dishwasher. <laughs> Think you get my drift. Some things never change. Some things just get harder. Some things seem that, that they're silly, but yet there's a pressure that if we're not careful can sometimes take the joy away from one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us. And that's why Paul was saying, he says, look, don't get caught up. Don't get captured with empty, empty philosophies or high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So here's what I want to do for mothers on this day. Here's what I want to do for all of us today because I think the, the power of comparison, of comparison is, is sometimes overwhelming. So what I want to talk about in just two parts this morning is what every mom needs to know and what every kid really needs from you. I think it will help us some this morning. So we start out with what every mom needs to know. And if you're not a mom and you're, you're a guy even this morning, can I tell you, don't check out. Because the very things the Word of God says you need are the very things we all need in our lives. And the first thing is simply this. We have to always remember that God made each and every one of us uniquely us. There's not another you in this universe. There's not another person that has the unique giftings and talents and, and drives that you have. And God did that out of a very important thing. And this is what we need to start with. And that is that God loves you deeply as you are. God loves you deeply as you are. 
And this may sound strong this morning. I'm going to come out of the gate kind of strong, but it's just truth. I believe it is an insult to God when we belittle ourselves and doubt our significance here on this earth. Because the Bible says just the opposite. Psalm 139, a psalm that we usually quote when we're baby, you know, dedicating babies, but a, a psalm that is so powerful to us in life. It says this in verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. When, when the Lord knit us together, if we truly believe in creation, if we truly believe in the, the uniqueness of God's creation in us, when the Lord knit us together, he sowed into us aspirations, dreams, gifts, talents, ambitions, all these things that he declared would be part of our creation. And when he created us, he said it is good because we are both his creation and his beloved. And to deny that and to, and to put that down and to somehow all this inferiority come on us is really an insult to his creation. But yet it's a battle that every single person faces that has ever tried to put their trust in God. Because can I tell you, from the day we were born, from the moment we came to this earth, God's creation on this earth, the, the enemy of our souls, Satan, the thief, the liar, the, the murderer of our souls, has attempted to separate us, all of us, from that recognition of God's love for our lives. That his love is enough. That his love is what we need. That his love gives us meaning and fullness. His goal is to, to, to make us so overly conscious of ourselves, selfie world, that we place worth in not how God created us, but in the horrible cycle of comparison, where our worth is determined by our position, our abilities, our job titles, our appearance, our possessions, our careers, our families, even our six-year-old's birthday parties. And can I tell you, if you get caught up in that trap, it leads into a life of running on the, on the spiritual treadmill. You're just doing a lot of work, but you're never getting anywhere because all you're doing is letting others dictate your worth in this world. It's too easy to get caught up in the trap of believing that there's this simple formula that is so wrong that says your self-worth is equal to your performance plus other people's opinions. We get on social media and we compare our kids to someone else's kids or we compare our house to someone else's house or our car, our clothes, and, and before long we're like unfriending people, not because we don't want to be their friends, we just can't stand looking at their perfection over and over again because it makes us feel like somehow we're not it. And we get caught in that trap of insignificance and infer inferiority and what happens is we start believing lies that Satan speaks to our minds. Things like, well, well, God can't bless me or won't bless me like he does others because I'm not, I'm not quite as good as they are. Or, or it's because I don't measure up, I'm less than, and things haven't worked out the way I wanted them to because, after all, I'm just not as good as other people. And we get ourselves so misaligned with what God says about every one of us. Because he desires for us to understand and to know that when we surrender our lives to him, we experience the realities of redemption every single day. We are forgiven. We are made righteous, not because of what we do, but because of what he has done for us. So therefore, we are pleasing in God's sight even in the middle of our failures. And that's a good place for someone to agree. Because we all fail. We all come up short. 
We've all attempted things, done things, and they just haven't panned out the way we wanted them to do. And, and we, we've got to recognize that God's love doesn't change. It doesn't change at all. You see, comparison leads to the fear of failure. But neither success or failure can be a proper basis for our self-worth. For Christ alone is the source of our freedom. He's the source of our joy. He's the source of our, of our, our, our just ability to have purpose in this world. Why? Because he loves us and he uniquely made us. Oh, I'm going to share some other truths this morning. They're going to lead to two that I think will finally help us the most this morning, but you got to get them in there or you won't understand the rest. Not only has he loved us, but God has honored you highly. He's honored every one of us highly. You see, God adopted you. He made you his child. And he called you out as a royal holy priest in his kingdom. Some of you don't think of yourselves that way. You say, priest, that's, that's, that's someone else. That's a, a cleric. That's someone that uh, has gone to school to study. That, that's who you know. God says that all of us have been brought into this royal priesthood when we put our faith in Christ. Ephesians 2 says this, one of the most powerful, I think, sections of Scripture for, for anyone to memorize and know. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by what? Talk to me. It is by your good looks, it is by your heritage, it is by your, your intelligence, it is by your upbringing, it is by your country of origin. No, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Guys, we are honored highly by our God. There is a worth and a value he has placed in every single one of us that Satan tries to diminish, but we need to be reminded, we need to remind each other, listen, live fully in what God has made you to be. Embrace the position he has put you in, because not only does he love you, not only does he honor you, but he also values you greatly. He values you greatly. The scripture says in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think one of the hard things we struggle with, and I'm speaking not only to moms and to women, but I think to all of us is, is to recognize that, that we are worth something to God. We are valued to God. We were bought with a price, the price of, a, of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, for many, I don't think that goes far enough because we, we, can't, we can't grasp that. Okay, he shed blood for us, but I don't know how that makes me have value. Let me ask you this. What do you do for people that you value? What do you do? You honor them, right? What do you do for people that you value? You, you give them your time. You, you give them your, your focus. You give them, even you give them gifts because you value them. What's well, the same with Jesus? It's the same with what God for, did for us. Not only did he shed his blood for us, but he entered in this personal relationship. He says, I don't want you just to be out there somewhere on your own. I want you to be near me. Even to the point that the very places of life that we sang that song about this morning, it is well. He said, I've made provision for those. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think you're finding a theme here. You see the, the worth, the value, the honor. It, it all brings us that place of understanding that God wants this one-on-one -on -one personal relationship where when we doubt ourselves, he reminds us we are made in his image. 
When we get caught up in comparison, it reminds us there's no one else on earth like us. When we get caught up in this feeling of sometimes inferiority, <laughs> he reminds us that his own son's blood was shed for us because he values us and wants to spend eternity with our lives. There's a fourth thing this morning, and I don't usually have this many points, but you're going to have a lot of points this morning, and that is that God has provided for you fully. Think about that. How many times do we feel we are inadequate? God, what do I do with these kids? God, God how, why did you entrust me? <laughs> Or how am I going to make it in this city or how am I going to make it in this situation? God says, I provided for you fully. He delights in giving us good things. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you callings. He's given you talents that you need to fulfill your calling and destiny on this earth. Philippians 4.19, when you became a believer, probably one of the early verses that someone spoke into your life. And it says that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I, I've talked to some ladies, and they'll say things like, you know, I, I'm not a good mom. I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I didn't have a good example. I, I, I don't want to mess this kid up. You know, I mean, things like that. And one of the things we need to be reminded is part of God's gift to us is us. He puts us in a local body of Christ. He puts us in a place where there are others around us that we can look to and we can say, listen, I may have a deficit here, but you seem to have it going on. Let me get close to you, and, and I can learn from you. I can grow. That was what was happening in the marriage seminar yesterday. We had, we had multiple generations represented there, and it was, it was just fun to, to watch the light comes on. Like, oh, they struggle with that too. I don't feel so bad now. You know, those, those kind of thoughts. It's a gift that God gives us that we have each other. There's a fifth thing this morning, and that is he has planned for you carefully. This is one that I, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around. This is one of those that, that it's not that I'm like have 20 questions for God, but if I, if I even thought about it, I'd probably ask this one because it's just hard to wrap your brain around. But the word says in Ephesians 1 that God chose you before the foundation of the world. Now think about that for a second. Here we are, 2017. We have no idea how old this earth is. We all like to guess and argue about it. But at some point in generations past, God said, let it be. And, and light came in, and the earth was formed, and all the things that we see, and we are so blessed by that. But the Word tells me, if I get this straight, that God has been thinking about you before that even happened. God had been planning for you before that even happened. So he was putting things in place that allow you to enjoy life, to, to allow you to be who God wants you to be, and allow you to make a dent in this world that is actually for good. Why? Because he planned for you. And part of his planning is this he has gifted you listen there's not a one of you in this room that is not gifted can you look at your neighbor right now and just say you're gifted would you do that and say it like you mean it you know it's not sarcasm it's like yeah you're gifted you like two left feet no it's it's you're gifted it's, it's not like the trophy they hand out because you participate no we are unique god has something in us that makes all of us whole he said in romans 12 6 it's by his grace god has given us different gifts to do certain things well Listen, you do things better than others in many areas of your life. And there's other things we're just not good at, and that's okay. Because God gifted us a certain way, and he gave them to us out of his generosity. Ephesians 4, 7, he's given each one of us a special gift to the generosity of Christ. And the point being is, we just got to function within our gifting. We got to function within our identity. And we got to let God's grace overwhelm us with his ability to bring you what you need when you need it for the purpose he put in you. And that leads to the 
final two points for our moms this morning, and I want you to hear these, because all these foundational pieces have to come under this, or, or it won't matter. You won't get the rest of this, and it's simply this. God knew what he was doing when he entrusted you with a child. Think about that. God knew what he was doing when he entrusted you with your child. Psalm 127, we love to quote it at baby dedication, says this, that children are a gift from the Lord. They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Now, now notice what it didn't say. I think this is very critical for some of you this morning. It did not say that children are a reward because you're special. Think about that. It, it didn't say that. Neither did it say that children are a punishment from God. My sweet mom, she'd look at me and say, Mike, I pray God gives you one just like you. Because if it could be broken, I'd break it. If it could be tried, I'd attempt it. Emergency room was my friend. It's bad when they know you by name. Because it was just the way I, I'm wired. God made me that way. But she prayed that. But it's not a punishment. Children are not a burden. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, right. You don't know my kids. They're not a burden. It's not what he said. He said they're a gift. They're not a pain. They're not a task to be conquered. And neither are they a referendum of your worth or standing with your heavenly father. This is where the real struggle comes in. Because we live our lives sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I'm the parent confessor here, that says we don't know what we're doing a lot of times. Don't amen, Wes and Chloe. But true. But yet we get caught up in the trap of comparison sometimes, especially in the church, that somehow our kids become a reflection of whether God loves us or not, or whether we know what we're doing. But God knew exactly what he was doing when he entrusted you with your child. And this is going to set some of you free, this eighth point here, because I think some of you may, may even want to like test my knowledge of the Bible. You may think this is sacrilege. But can I tell you this? God knows that you're not a perfect parent. And he also knows that neither is your child. In fact, there's a truth that I think sometimes we need to dispel in the church, and we get caught in what is called biblical parenting. And here's the reality. Godly parents do not necessarily raise godly kids. Great parents do not necessarily raise great kids. In fact, in the Bible, God kind of dispels that rumor right off the bat. You can't even get to page four in the Bible until you find parents sitting around going, what went wrong? Adam and Eve had two sons. What were their names? Help me out, somebody. Cain and Abel. Poster children, right? Awesome. They'd be great on Facebook. Think about this. They had no internet to corrupt their minds. They had no violent video games. They had no neighbor kid down the street that didn't know any better. They didn't have any peer pressure, and yet still one son kills the other son. Man, way to go, Adam and Eve. Y'all are awesome parents. We're going to let you teach a parenting class. How to shrink your family in one simple step. No. Samuel, priest. There's two books in the Bible named after him has two sons. Samuel rules the temple. It's a great place. His sons didn't quite catch what his daddy was doing because they, they were over there stealing the meat off the altar and, and, and involving themselves in that, but also as they got older, involved in sexual immorality with women coming to the temple, so much so that because Samuel wouldn't do anything to correct his sons, God killed them. That's a parenting lesson. No confessions. You've ever asked God to take your kids? Not a confession, Right? 
David. Some of y'all are like, I didn't know this stuff was in the Bible. You should read your Bible. It's kind of interesting. It'll make you feel better sometimes. David, man after God's own heart, right? Worshiper, psalmist, warrior, all those things. David had a lot of kids. He had a lot of wives. We won't go there. But he had a lot of kids. One son rapes one daughter. David doesn't do anything about it. So second son, seeing the dad won't do anything about it, takes it upon himself and kills first son. Second son soon starts feeling so good about himself that, you know what, since daddy won't do anything about it, maybe I'm better than dad. So second son pushes dad out of the family business and literally kicks him off the throne. David's running for his life. So David's army has to step in and assemble themselves to restore peace to the kingdom, so they go out and kill said second son. Now, you think by then the others are taking notice, right? But no, third and fourth sons then come together and say, well, dad's going to die one day, so... I wonder which one of us is going to raise up and take over the kingdom. So fourth son decides to take it upon himself, and he kills the third son. Now, I, I can't explain all that other than we're in a sinful world, but there is one little insight that I have in 1 Kings 1.6 when it says that David never interfered with his sons. He never challenged them why they do what they do. Listen, God knows we're not perfect. But he has called us to interfere, to interrupt, to engage, to involve ourselves in the lives of our children in such a way that they've been given every opportunity to align their, their lives with God. Every opportunity. And we step back and we say, well, I, I, you know, that's a personal thing. I don't want to get involved in that. I'm just going to let them see where it lands. You know, we'll, we don't want to influence them in any way. Uh, what we're doing is we're stepping back from this point of saying, God says, I know you're not perfect, but I put you there. I, I put you there to... Engage, interfere, intervene. Because they are God's kids. And that's one thing we all need to remember about parenting. They are God's kids. But the Lord is giving us the privilege of raising them. And it is a privilege. And there's some things that we need to just focus on instead of focusing on what everybody else is doing. There's some things we need to concentrate on instead of getting caught up with whether our birthday party is better than my neighbor's. Because in the end, when they're adults, it doesn't matter. And there's four things every kid needs from us. Moms, dads, grandparents, uncles, aunts. There's four things. And I, I, I won't say, and I, I will never write a book on parenting. I just won't. I'm going to give you a book on parenting today, and it's really cool. His kids are young. Good luck. Uh, but it, no, it's a good book. Um, but I will tell you, there are four things that, that every child needs. And as a Christian parent, we need to get this. And I'm going to tell you, some of these are hard. Some of these, we did, I didn't do so well. But the first thing is this. Every kid needs an example to follow. They need an example to follow. Can I tell you, you are the most important variable in the spiritual upbringing of your child. Not those that are teaching them in kids' church right now. Not the youth pastor, not the pastor. You get them six and a half days a week. We get them for like two hours. Who has the most influence? You do. But can I tell you, in that influence, there's some things we ought to focus on more than others. In fact, we ought to focus on G-O-D more than G-P-A. And we ought to focus on G-O-D more than M-V-P. Because this is where the world has messed it all up. We think we're ruining our kids if we don't take up every second of their time to make them a champion at something. Can I ask you this this morning? Would you rather your kid be known as the most generous kid on campus or the valedictorian? Think about it. 
How about the most caring kid on campus or the greatest athlete? Because one thing that all of us know as adults is the majority of our lives, the majority of your kids' days on this earth, they will never again be asked what their GPA is. Think about it. Next time you go to the doctor, have you ever asked them what their GPA is? You might not want to know. Because the certificate's on the wall, they're a doctor, right? I was a CPA. You know what CPA stands for? Can't pass again. Okay? It's just you make the minimum to get through and you're good because after that you are a CPA. Some of you with PhDs, if you were really honest right now, you scrape by, by the skin of your teeth. But you're a PhD and we all honor you now. But in your kid's life, never are they going to be asked about their GPA, nor are they going to be asked about that amazing play they made on the ball field when they were 10 years old. In fact, if they're still talking about that when they're 40, they probably need therapy, John. I'm just saying. They need a little more priorities in their life than that. But as parents, one of the things we've got to recognize is we need to interfere, we need to impact, we need to impress, because what we want our kids to be known as, as they grow into adults is their character and their impact in their community. That's what you want. I mean, 4.0 in prison doesn't help me out a lot. The super athlete in rehab doesn't help me out a lot. But the kid that loves their neighbor, treats their wife with respect, raises kids up with a chance to know God, there you go. So every kid needs an example. Amen? The second thing this morning, and we're going to do two more, is this. They need a home to run to, not a home to run from. They need a home to run to, not a home to run from. Proverbs 14, 26, you may want to mark this one down. It says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Things we have to ask ourselves sometimes as parents. Have we created a place that is more like a storm than it is a refuge? Have we created a place where there's no room to grow up, or have we created a refuge? You see, I think there's two things that are so important to this, and, and this, again, it's not easy. I'm not telling you that we get it right, but I think we need to, as parents, admit it, that we, we need to change our thinking sometimes, and one of those is in this area. I think we need to spend more time seeking to understand our kids than getting them to understand us. You've said it. You probably said it before church this morning. Do you understand me? You're not going to act that way in church. You're going to think I'm terrible, okay? Do you understand me? Do not hit the kid in preschool, okay? Don't do it. Look at my eyes, right? We were all, we're all in that do you understand me when sometimes we ought to spend more time just understanding how God wired our kid. Because, man, everyone was different. Some of y'all about to have multiple babies. Justin, God bless you, Mel. Come on. Little Millie is not Elliot. And it's definitely not Madden, right? No. They're all different. And they're all cool. It's very, it's varied. It's one of the gifts of God. But we need to speak spending more time understanding them sometimes than just trying to be understood. There's a huge difference between talking to your child and talking with them. And hearing more of their heart and mind. You see, again, we live in this Pinterest world. One of the first classes I ever killed in a church, uh, when I became the pastor of a church, I I, I'm, not a bull in a, I'm not like a bull in a china closet. The churches I've become pastors, back when I used to do uh, uh, re restoration work in churches, I would always take my time. Let's just really get things simple, and let's all love each other, say kumbaya, then we'll start making some changes. But one of the first things I ever killed in the last church that Curtis and I served in was this class called Growing Kids God's Way. 
And I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, I don't see there's a God way other than raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But I mean, that thing got down to like, you should only feed them twice a day when they're babies. And I'm like, what? Have you met Wesley? I mean, it's not going to happen. And it's stuff like, you know, you should not do this at night. And I'm like, who, who wrote this? And then to find out he never had kids. But we get caught in that, don't we? We have a Christian way for everything. Five easy steps to a great marriage. Should have been in the seminar yesterday. Doesn't work. But can I tell you, setting an example, giving them every opportunity, coming to understand your children, raising them in the bent that God created them in, that's what the Proverbs is speaking about, is raising them in the bent that God created them in. It will, it will always be there. Their nature changes very little. Their personality changes very little over time. So you take that and you help it come to the place where they may have the opportunity to know God. And I think one of the ways you do that, and this is the third thing, is this. Priority, they need priority over your schedule, not priority in your schedule. There's a big difference. It's going to cost you, though, because what it may cost you is actually spending more time with your kid. Oh, it's easy now. You can just fill it all up. Piano, soccer, karate, football, Spanish. Mandarin, I don't know, whatever you think your kid needs. You can be so busy chasing everywhere that you never even get to talk to them. Sometimes they just need to play. Sometimes they just need to wrestle. But you see, it costs you. Because if you prioritize your kids over your schedule, it may limit your career. It may cause you to play, play less golf or, uh, or do less antiquing or whatever things you do. But can I tell you, it pays off over time. Because you get one shot. And that one shot is to show them they're special. And that's the th fourth thing this morning. I think this is a critical one. We're going to close with this. Everything a kid needs, one of the four things every one of them needs is the benefit of the doubt. Can I get an amen? Come on. There's not a one of us that weren't rascals at some point of our life as a kid. But yet we freak out when our kids aren't perfect. So here I'm going to help you a lot today, okay? This is really spiritual. It's going to be amazing. This is probably the one thing you're going to talk about the rest of the day with the whole message, okay? Because here's the thing. You need to encourage who they are now because life has so many phases and uniquenesses about it, and each phase has its challenge, but it's part of how they mature. So expecting perfection in any single phase, you're doing wrong by your kid. We need to give them the benefit of the doubt. So here's how we're going to do this. Everyone raise your hands. Two hands up. Some of y'all like, I've never raised my hands in church. Well, there you go. All right, keep them up. No, no, no. Keep them up. Keep them up. Test. When I say this, if this statement reflects you, you may put your hands down. Okay? So everybody keep your hands up. How many of you were ever sent home from school due to a disciplinary problem in your life? <laughs> I just learned a lot about a lot, y'all. Makes sense. How many of you have ever had your parents called to the school because of your behavior? Whoa, that knocked a lot out. How many of you ever made a bad choice in a dating relationship? Actually, I was down on the first one. I should have just dropped my hands early. All right, you perfect people. How many of you have ever used alcohol or drugs as a teenager? We got really quiet in here. All right, for my few perfect people, how many of you knowingly have disobeyed your parents even though you knew it would make them angry? It took them all out, see? There's not a single one of us that can look at our kids. Oh, I never did that. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, right. I think probably the biggest thing that I can say to you this morning is this. Look, God knows what he's doing when he put us in the role of parents. And God has given us great gifts around us. He has wired us uniquely. He has given us his love, his honor, his, his provision. He's put people in our lives that we can come alongside and say, hey, we're struggling with this. Help us out with this area. The reality is, at the end of the day, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a parent, listen, prayer is going to be your greatest ally because God's called you to be an influence. Prayer is going to be your greatest ally because you're going to put them in that place where they can choose. Are they going to accept the grace of God or not? Commit. You need to commit to a process. It is work. It does take time. It doesn't happen because you just wish it to. Here's, here's one that I think won't help some. Stop trying to live your life through your kids. It, it doesn't ever turn out well. I played football with a young man that was probably the most talented person I've ever met in my life. But from the day he was this big, dad said, you're going to be a quarterback in the NFL. Man, oh man, that kid was an athlete. Freshman year of high school, six foot two, already 200 pounds, could run a 4-4-4, four, 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 Unbelievable. Scholarship. Plays Texas A&M. Huge college. Did pretty good. Drafted by the Denver Broncos. Kathy's not here to yell. Plays one game. Quits. The interview says, I am so sick of this game. Because I've had no life outside of it. All my dad wanted was me to be a quarterback in the NFL. I did it. I'm done. He was a philosophy major in college. Come on. But it's just that whole, don't live your life. Hey, you had your shot. Raise them in the uniqueness God created them to be. And finally, stop comparing them to others and yourself to other parents that you don't even know. God loves you guys. Moms, I, I don't envy you in this day. I was talking to Denise yesterday. I said, I'm, I'm really glad that the season of life that God gave us to raise our kids before some things became as they are right now. I'm glad we didn't raise them in a Facebook age. I'm glad we didn't raise them in a Pinterest age. I, I really am. But it's not that what is now is new and, what, and it's bad. It's just that you've got to learn to manage it. Otherwise, it puts you in a prison you don't belong. And it puts your kids in a prison that sometimes they never escape. So can I encourage you this morning? God's with you. God's going to help you. And God's going to bless you.